0: As I was preparing for the class today, I was thinking maybe I had too much shrikan or something when I was choosing the verses to read because sometimes I don't, why don't I choose that purport? You know? But anyway, uh, I'll take it as uh, Radha Mohan's uh, arrangement. So we're reading from this uh, amazing uh, uh, pastime. We can call it a story, but we don't mean story in the sense of like uh, mythological, um, of uh, King Venus. So this whole. Um, fourth canto is what? It's a description of what? The whole fourth canto is a description of one thing. What? Okay, okay. so you're looking at it from the ten. No, Visarga would be canto two. But this is the story of Uttanupada's descendants. Maharaj Uttanupada and his descendants. And then the whole fifth canto, or at least part of it, is uh, Priyavrata, his brother. And his Descendants. So Druva comes in the line of uh, uh and uh, Vena, who, you know, comes, and uh, uh, Prithu and Archie come, uh, Prachenibai who later, and uh, um, the Prachetas. Yeah. So this whole thing is the line of uh, of uh <clears throat> So just putting it in that bigger context. So now here's the problem that Anga, uh, as we say in uh, colloquial English, he split. <laughs> right? He, he couldn't take it any longer. He had such a bad son that he just uh, said, I can't handle this. And uh, of course he took it as the Lord's arrangement and he went to the forest. Uh, just leaving in the dead of night, you're not allowed to do that anymore in Iskon. If you want to take sannyas, you have to go through a whole process, including, including showing that you have provided for your uh, for your family. So, but he wasn't following Iskan rules in those days, and he, he left. And the problem is, uh, then the rogues and thieves started. You know, uh, without a king, then everyone says, you know, you could just imagine. Just imagine what it would be like, even for one day in America, if if they just said, "Oh, there's no law enforcement today. Zip. There's no police." Yeah. yeah well, no government shutdown. That's that. They, the police. Uh, matter of fact, even in my my bureau where I worked, uh, the law enforcement people were still working. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right, or even after they have these celebrations after somebody wins a sporting event and then there's uh, all this, uh, what do they call looting, right? Everyone's out in the streets and then there's some looting. So can you imagine what it would be like if you just said there was absolutely no police force tomorrow? And what would happen? It would be pretty interesting. So here is kind of like that's what happened. And, and it says that the rogues and the thieves just flourished. So what to do about that? Right? And uh, we know that uh, the Queen Mother, Sunita, she preserved her, uh, her, her husband's body. No, wait. No, wait. That's coming up later. That's Vena. Yeah, right. Sorry. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I'm getting confused. He's off in the forest. He can't preserve his body. Um, anyway, that comes a, a little bit later. So, uh, anyway, the great sages, they then called this for, uh, verse 2 of chapter 14 for mother, uh, the Queen Mother, Sunita. And with her permission, they installed Vena on the throne as master of the world. All the ministers, however, disagreed with this. So that's interesting, right? So the sages were thinking one thing, and the ministers were thinking something else. Does that ever happen in the world that people have different opinions about something, right? So in this case, we don't know what we don't know. We don't hear the details of if there was a discussion. Discussion and was they were facilitator with a flip chart and you know <laughs> going over everything or the say or maybe the sages just pulled rank right because uh, they they are they represent the Brahmin ca, cla, class and the ministers are more representing the uh, the Chacharya class, so they might have just said you know we, uh, we appreciate that you disagree and uh, you know we're still going in this direction I, I would think that the the sages no, it's clear from later on that the sages knew it wasn't. It, it was a uh, tough choice because they knew there was going to be problems with with King Vena. But um, even though the ministers disagreed, this did take place, right? Um, and we could talk all about that. That uh, uh, you know, there, in in conflict resolution, there's this description of the people's positions and their interests. So the position is what we say we want. And the interest is why we want it. And it's usually if there's just a tug of war over positions, uh, the the sage is saying we want to install Vena, the minister is saying we don't, then you know it's a it's a um, in this case it was, you know, who in the hierarchy has a say. Um, and in other cases it might just be, you know, anyway it's a tug of war. But the interests might be interesting to examine. What were the 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 maybe their interests were the same—the welfare of the people, and the welfare of the kingdom, right? Uh, that which would have been an interesting discussion, right? If their interests were the same, but they came to different conclusions. So let's go on. Verse three. It was already known that Vena was very severe. No, he wasn't so severe. He just killed his friends on the playground sometimes. You know. Uh, and cruel. Therefore, as soon as all the thieves and rogues in the state heard of his ascendance to the royal throne, they became very much afraid of him. Indeed, they hid themselves here and there as rats hide themselves from snakes. So you can imagine, okay, so there, so there was a day without any police force. And then the next day, the police, police force is out in full force and they were you know, given license to shoot and ask questions later. Right? There might be a different mood in the uh, in the country at that time. Uh, also, a, a not a very nice mood—a mood of total fear, right? And things. But you know, that's—it's a little bit what happened here, right? And and what a uh, the the Bhagavatam and Srila Prabhupada also—they give such um, wonderful uh, illustrative metaphors and similes. Right, so here, just as rats hide themselves from snakes, Because right, um, snakes are uh, um, rats are nice food for a snake, right? Just about the right size, anyway. <laughs> um, when the king ascended to the throne, he became all powerful with eight kinds of opulences. Consequently, he became too proud. By virtue of his false prestige, he considered himself to be greater than anyone. Thus, he began to insult great personalities. So that's an interesting combination, uh, interesting juxtaposition, right? Of pride leading to insults. Right? So how do you think that happens? Use the mic
1: pretty simple like you see people sometimes with really nice cars and they think well I'm obviously better than other people so I can cut off them you know, <laughs> anytime I feel like it because after all I'm superior
0: it's it's on yeah maybe it just yeah, needs to be a little louder it up a little bit. it's a blue one yeah yeah yeah. I mean y- you can uh, if, if you're proud you think yourself better than somebody else when you think you're better than somebody else you don't think much of them. When you don't think much of somebody else, it's very easy to think, well, there's no problem in offending them. And we, should, we need to be really mindful of this. First of all, we say pride cometh before what? The fall, right? So that's a famous saying, and uh, it's true also in, in, in Krishna consciousness because really what's stopping us from the fall is really Krishna's mercy. Right, otherwise we are fallen souls, as we often say. Right, so what's stopping us from falling is really Krishna. And if we displease Krishna, then what's stopping? Then nothing's stopping us from falling, right? Um, and the thing, you know, uh, the thing that a devotee should be more fearful of than anything, more fearful of than death, disease, old age, losing all their money. Whatever is offending another Vaishnava, that should be the most fearful thing. That, it, um, and it's tricky because, you know, say you say you offend another Vaishnava, it's not necessarily that you know a uh, thunderbolt strikes you ten seconds later. So you might not necessarily see the the connection, right? But, but one does lose one's intelligence. One, and one's already lost their intelligence by thinking that they can, you know, offend one of someone that's dear to Krishna and kind of get away with it. So this is something to really be very fixed. You know, there's so many things, you know, one of the things that we should be so fixed on is to not offend a devotee. Now we can, you know, there's ways around that. We can say, you know, um... I really disagree with Mahamantra Prabhu on this topic. And I really think that he's not seeing it from the best point of view. Now that's different than saying Maha Mantra is, and then fill in the blank, that's an offensive statement. Right? So, um, so it's something that we should be so careful of. And therefore, we need to be careful of pride. And as she, you know, there's so many sayings of Prabhupada, right? So he would say, what is it? pauper? it can be proud of his... Penny, right? Yeah. So you think you got this? I remember. I'm almost. I'm almost ashamed to say this, but uh, I'll say it anyway. I just remember uh, because I had never owned a car. um, Yeah, in my life, because I. Yeah, I just joined Krishna Conscious. I drove from my mother's car, and then I became a brahmachari, and then I moved to India. And you don't want to have a car in India, right? And so I then um at one time I just, just I, I bought well I bought my wife or myself and uh, two, two we still have it, a two thousand five Prius. And I just thought that, you know, because I had never owned a car before, I thought this was like a Rolls Royce or something like that. You know. So two thousand five Prius, you know. But I was like, you know, I hope some people see me driving this Prius. you know, these things came to my mind. It's so silly. It's a Prius. You know. So we can be proud of anything, you know, right? If I if I say what's that verse, you know, uh Dehino, and then somebody says, Oh, Dehino that de, we can be oh very I know that verse. Prabhuji didn't know that verse, but I know that. We can be proud of just about anything. And uh pride is um a very dangerous state of mind. Very state of Dangerous state of mind, and the real thing again is because pride. Okay, the, we say the, the opposite of that is humility, and then we get into a whole discussion which we've had before, right? About humility doesn't mean low self-esteem, right? You know, there's that saying, right? And I, which I it's it, I really like that saying actually. You know, humility isn't thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less often. Right? And specifically, real humility comes when we're thinking of Krishna, and we understand how great He is. Then, then it puts us in a, in our place. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was in big trouble. Then he began insulting great personalities. Any thoughts on pride or humility and all that sort of jazz? Anyone want to say anything? No? Rambaru Matsuji?
2: Hello? Yeah. Well, just how uh, are you perv- proud
0: that you figured out how to yeah, turn it Yeah, how
2: pervasive yeah. this this theme pride is in so many of the stories. Uh, the story I'm going to focus on today, in the class later, is just that. You know how pride bewildered Lord Brahma uh, into wanting to test if Krishna was powerful, and of course Krishna defeats every time. But it's also the in Christianity, hubris is one of the sins of. The main sins as well. And Srila Prabhupada uh, used to say, if if a person can learn to be truly humble, then all the purports to Vedic literature will be revealed. Mm. It's so much this way, that way. You have to hear it so many ways, but it's really about that, to be yeah. hun- uh, not just humble, but honest, honest and humility together. Yeah. Yes. If you're if you're honest and not humble, then you are a mean guy. You're just blurting out all kinds <laughs> yeah, of stuff. Right, right. I and mean, if you're if you're humble but not honest or truthful, then then it's imbalance the other way.
0: But, mm, yeah, very nice. Yeah. I thought hubris was a kind of tree or something.
2: No, oh, it's a pride. Yeah. It
0: was a bad joke, uh, right? Hubris. Yeah, that's a very nice point about honesty and 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 uh, pride. Yeah, very good. Anything else on pride and uh, and uparad? It's right there in the uh, the first right offense to blasphemy the devotees who have dedicated lives is preaching the holy name. And it's there kind of in the third one also about the spiritual master. Right? Yeah. And uh, you and your point, Yasya Deva Yata Deva Kati artam prakashante mahatmana that the the Vedic conclusions are revealed to a person who has um, faith in the spiritual master and Krishna. And that faith comes also from pride that I don't know everything. Right? Yeah. I was just listening to uh, a lecture Sheila Srila Prabhupada gave in London. It was, the, it was the only... I was driving back from New Jersey yesterday, and it was the only CD I had, so I heard it like two or three times. That's <laughs> the only one I had. Um, but he, he was talking about... Uh, that well he, he was one thing he said that was really interesting he said because I think it was a, a Vyasa puja it was on the same. it was an evening of the Vyasa puja um, and he uh, was saying yes it's very nice that you're offering me respect but then he said but the real disciple focus is to follow the instructions of the spiritual master yeah. okay so shall we carry on? Uh, text five when he began overly when he began overly blind be, when he became overly blind due to his opulences, King Vena mounted a chariot and like an uncontrolled elephant began to travel through the kingdom, causing the sky and earth to tremble wherever he went. so again we've talked about uncontrolled elephants, even the offense against the Vaishnava is called the mad elephant offense. And like, I I, I do. I think it's actually a good use of YouTube to um, go on and I don't know what you type an uncontrolled elephant or a mad elephant and you see elephants just like throwing Maruti vans over and doing, you know, and you can imagine what it can do. The examples given what if they were in a garden, what an elephant could do to a garden in a few seconds. And so Vena was doing that. All the twice born brahmanas were forbidden henceforward to perform any sacrifice, and they were also forbidden to give charity and offer clarified butter. Thus, King Dana sounded kettle drums throughout the countryside. In other words, he stopped all kinds of religious rituals. So you can imagine the uh, the sages starting to go, oops. <laughs> oops, that might, have been, that might have not been the best decision we ever made. <laughs> Therefore, all the great sages assembled together and after observing cruel Vena's atrocities concluded that a great danger and a catastrophe was approaching the people of the world. Thus, out of compassion, they began to talk amongst themselves, for they themselves were performers of sacrifice. So Prabhupada writes in the purport, before King Vena was enthroned, all the great sages were very much anxious to see to the welfare of society. When they saw that King Vena was most irresponsible, cruel and atrocious, they again began to think of the welfare of the people. It should be understood that sages, saintly persons and devotees are not unconcerned with the people's welfare. So now then he goes into an analysis, right, of the different kinds of people there are, right? So ordinary karmis are busy acquiring money for sense gratification. And then ordinary Ghanis are socially aloof when they speculate on liberation. Uh, liberation, But actual devotees and saintly persons are always anxious to see how the people can be made both happy, both materially and spiritually. Therefore, the great sages began to consult one another uh, on how to get out of the dangerous atmosphere created by King Vena. So... Um, this is, of course, we know if we, again, if we use these words, car, you know, sometimes the word carmi has a certain connotation in this kind but carmi just literally means just someone who's ultimately thinking of themselves. So there is, as we understand, there's personal sense gratification, and then there's extended, right, to family, society, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we could say that there are a lot of people who are concerned about the material welfare of others. You know, there's... Uh, uh, just like when the shutdown was there, there was food banks for federal employees and 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 things like that. Um, and there's even and uh, you know there's all kinds of uh, charities. And when you, it seems like the first thing you do when you become really rich is you start a foundation, right? And that's not a terrible thing. You know, you do it for helping people. Uh, uh, LeBron James opened up a school in Cleveland, right, or Akron, Ohio, where he's from, and you know people. Do those kind of things, um, but here it's it's said that that a devotee, and we could extend this to not just a Hare Krishna devotee, but a, a spiritualist, thinks tries to make people who says both happily materially and spiritually. Right, um, we have that uh, uh, we that drama that devotees used to do. Right, uh, we mentioned that before on, on the streets of major cities when a person says, "I'm drowning, I'm drowning," and they're just on the sidewalk. Make believe they're drowning, and the person says, "I'll save you." And the devotee dives in. The person dives in and saves their coat, right? And then the purport is that you know, uh, real welfare work is not just helping the body, but actually who we are—the soul inside. And then goes on to a discussion about that. But what I what I really wanted to focus on in this verse is um, skipping ahead to um, verse 41 for a second. Right? Because in this verse, it's all about how they do have to, they, we as devotees, have an interest in the welfare of people in general and in society. But Then in 41, skipping ahead, um, the saintly, Prabhupada writes in the purport, the saintly persons and great sages killed Vena out of emergency, but they do not choose to take part in the government order, in order to subdue the uprising, Oh, I'm sorry, that's 40. 41 uh, is... Um, Brahmanas, the topmost section of human society, are mostly devotees. They are generally unaware of the happenings within the material world because they are always busy in their activities for spiritual advancement. So I thought that was an interesting... Uh, positioning of these two points that generally devotees you know we're not we don't want to be too entangled and we know that the goings-ons of this world uh... you know they're just so much three modes of material nature mixing together and and people exhibiting their lust and greed and anger and all that sort of stuff and you know um... if you you know, if you just think of what uh, happened, you know, President Trump did te- a year ago, that's all just old news, or as Prabhupada would say, you get the newspaper. This is when there were people who read paper newspapers, and then the next day you use it to wrap fish. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, we're not, we understand, there's just, why should a devotee get so absorbed in just the goings and comings of, of people who aren't interested in spiritual life? We have such a mission to perform in this life of, go, of becoming pure, And going back to Godhead, right? So there's that that we just read in the uh, in 41. But then we just read in um, what was it, verse number seven, that the uh, the sages, who are devotees, um, were concerned for the welfare of the people in general, right? And they they had compassion for them, and they knew. Therefore, they they were aware of what was going on in the world. So. I think we struggle that with that probably in our own spiritual lives. How much do I really need to read all the, everything that happened, you know, CNN.com or whatever our favorite, you know, and how much do I just want to hear the Bhagavatam and you know, whatever's going on in the world that's just a bunch of Karmis acting like Karmis, <laughs> as we would say in the earlier days of ISKCON. So what, uh, has anyone here found that balance or what is that balance? Silence. Srila <laughs> um, Prabhupada would, was interesting, he'd say different things, and different, primarily he would say, we don't want to get too involved, in the news, and this and that, and in one place he says, there's, not, there's no prohibition, I think he used the word, for understanding ordinary news, and he would sometimes say, read the newspaper to me, right, he would have this, and then he would give a Krishna conscious, purport to it, right, and then I told you that story about, uh, A devotee on an airplane in the 70s and sat next to a businessman and the businessman turned to him so what do you think about the plumbers and Watergate which was like the biggest news in the world right everyone knew about it and the devotee said what plumbers what are you talking about (laughs) the person was just like absolutely shocked that he didn't know what that was so some awareness um, I'm trying to because it's so much easier to have that news than in the past, right? Because like even right now, I, I turned the internet off, but I could turn the internet on in five seconds and access any of 2,000 newspapers around the world, right, within seconds. <clears throat> in the old days, you actually had to go out to the store and buy a newspaper or have it delivered to your home, right? You know, Like that, it was a bigger endeavor. Now we have the world at our fingertips. Um, what I've done is uh, there, there's... Um, New York Times and CNN, they have like a synopsis of the news in one email. In CNN, they just tell you the five major things you should know. I figured if the world's falling apart, it's going to be one of those five. <laughs> right? There was an atomic bomb or something like that. So uh, that's, that's how I've been trying to just get that once a day, and I know what's going on in the world. I'm not always successful, but I found that that's... Uh, that was, I know what's going on, but I don't have to spend lots of time you know, because we have such a uh, uh a advanced devotee um on the level of Bhava is Avyakta Kalatvam, right? That they use all their time in Krishna's service. And uh and I've been trying you know, since I, I was with the Vaisheshika Prabhu a few weeks ago, I've been reading, you know, forty one pages a day. I want to read the whole Bhagavatam in a year. So that takes time. <laughs> you know, so you gotta that has to take away from some other time. <laughs> So, uh, like that, and exercise, I'm trying to, you know, so I'm trying to like do some things to improve my life and they all take time. So where are you gonna get that time from, right? You know, the, uh, in Stephen Covey has those four quadrants, uh, urgent and important, not urgent but important, urgent but not important, and then not urgent and not important. (laughs) And uh, the, the, the thing is that we usually neglect the second quadrant, which is not urgent, but important, right? Like it's not urgent that you have a proper diet today, that you have eight gulab jamans is no problem, right? It's not, you're not going to kill you, right? But it's, it's important because if you keep doing that, right? right? You're not going to die if you don't exercise, you know, take a walk or whatever to, uh, today. But if we, ne- you know, it's important if we neglect our health, right? Or what to speak of our reading. Oh, well, been kind of busy. Okay, it's not urgent to read the Bhagavatam. I mean, you're not going to die if you don't read it today. But the, the longer term things usually fall into what he calls quadrant two. We usually take care of quadrant one, not uh, urgent and important, right? If you get a letter from um, the uh, electric company, say they're going to turn off your electricity tomorrow if you don't go online right now and pay your bill from last month. Or right, you get a flat tire, take care of that. Your boss calls you; you take care of that, right? Those are urgent and important. But the real trick, Coffey says, is especially those, especially the fourth quadrant—not urgent, not important—and he lists uh, television, and uh, I forget some of the other things he lists there: Um, reading junk mail, (laughs) things like that. And he says one of the trickiest things is to to distinguish between three and one. One is urgent and important and three is urgent and not important. You, get, you see the difference? And making that distinction is not so easy. But the point is that we can study these kind of, we can consider these kind of things in our life because we want to use our time in Krishna's service. But one of the tricks of that really is, because uh, we're raso-vai-saha, right? We're, we're enjoyers by nature. We want to enjoy. Uh, we want So... We really need to get a higher taste because if we have a higher taste, then all that stuff, all those quadrants, they fall into place. If we're enjoying the Bhagavatam more than you know CNN.com, well, we won't you know have a taste for that. But you know, so if we have a taste for Krishna consciousness, all so time management and all kinds of things kind of kind of falls into place um, much more easily, if not you know totally easily, much more easily. The trick is, if we don't have a taste, then we have to engage our intelligence to say, okay, I don't have a taste, but Rupa Goswami gives the example of jaundice, that the best way to develop a taste is, even, is to use our intelligence and hear the Bhagavatam, chant Hari Krishna, associate with devotees, worship the Deity, do all those things, um, and gradually the taste will come. Even though, actually, if I have a choice between Time Magazine and the Bhagavatam, I'm attracted to Time Magazine that that just seems much more interesting and and I, I just have to read an article too. the Bhagavatam so heavy it's such a trip on the mind right but I say no I'm gonna pick up the Bhagavatam anyway and you'll see how Krishna gives us a taste if we do that so we do have to exercise our Krishna conscious intelligence and follow the spiritual master's instructions uh, when it was sometimes when the taste is not so strong when the taste is there it's it's much easier and Krishna will give us that taste if we do exercise our intelligence and take shelter and pray. It's actually, you talk about urgent, it's urgent to have a higher taste. To really uh, have a higher taste for Krishna consciousness. That's actually urgent and important. All right, I just, you know, pontificated for a few minutes there. Any uh, thoughts or questions on that? Or this balance? Yeah.
1: I mean, for me, the way my mind works, for what I know about how it works, I can't consciously decide to develop a taste. It never works that way. Right. It only works if I'm doing something else. And then I notice it comes up on me. Like, I never, I can't just invite it. Because it happened to me with gambling. I used to... I wasn't a problem gambler, but I used to... I would horse races, go to Las Vegas, all this stuff. And then since I've been coming here... When they built that new facility in National Harbor, mm-hmm. which is a first-class uh, Las Vegas-style casino, yeah. and I actually went there to, you know, to see it, and I stood outside, and I had zero taste. I didn't even have any <laughs> compulsion to walk inside. I just said, I don't care anymore. And tha- that snuck up on me. I didn't invite it. So mm-hmm. I think that's a problem a lot of people is, what do I do? You know, and if you consciously do it, it's not working. It, it has to come up on you some way.
0: And what do you attribute... Wait, wait, don't, don't
1: give it back yet. <laughs>
0: what do you attribute the um, lack of taste for the casino to?
1: The, the message had just kind of soaked into me. Because the, uh-huh. they don't
0: tell you here, they don't tell
1: you you must not gamble, you go to hell. They just say, we recommend you don't gamble, right? right. Because of that gentle way... I, that message gradually soaked in but it was nothing voluntary where I prayed nice. and said, let me have that taste be gone it just happened so the question is
0: you know no I, I see you your know. point but yeah. it, because you had that some taste therefore it was easy it wasn't like oh no I don't re- oh, you know you're just about to pull the door open No oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> right it, 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 you did have the taste and therefore the taste is what makes it easy
1: well, like they say, that it was cons- conspicuous by its absence. I just yeah, Conspi- that's a nice
0: okay. Prabhupada-ism, conspicuous by its absence.
1: It was just no, you know, I just walked away. Very
0: nice, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: and I think for those of us who weren't fortunate enough to grow up in a vegetarian family, be- that was the easiest thing to give up. Oh, I like was <laughs> right? just like... I was going to say a piece of cake, but, you know, vegetarian cake. <laughs> no eggs <laughs> right <laughs> I mean for me it was just like oh my god you know in the 70s we had at least I had a very dull diet before I was a devotee just like dull you know and then you go to a temple and there's samosas and cool gulab jamuns and Ryan. <laughs> you know, there was no no uh, comparison yeah but thank you for that that's that's uh, that's really good to hear yeah Okay, shall we move on then? Well, uh, yeah, yes. It's on. Just a, a, a quick reflection. I feel like we, at, at, at the same time, we don't um, discriminate against those people who don't have a taste for uh, spirituality. We don't discriminate? What do you mean by that? Like uh, kind of see. oh, these people... So, dull-minded, and uh, I don't want to get involved in bad things. Kind of, um, aloof oneself from. Let's 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 uh, examine that a little bit. Um, Gosh, remember I said we were going to finish this chapter today. Mm. Uh, (laughs) If someone is dull-minded. Srila Prabhupada would often call, call people dull-minded. That doesn't mean he didn't see them as spirit-soul. It doesn't mean he didn't see them as Krishna's part and parcel. It doesn't mean that he wasn't compassionate upon them. It doesn't mean, practically speaking, that he, you know, uh, on a certain level, you know, loved them. But, uh, but right now, the low modes of material nature are making them quite dull-minded. So in other words, calling somebody, it, it's not necessarily an offense or a put-down. To just state a uh, factual statement. Um, does that make sense? So we can say we could s- say yeah you know boy, gosh those whatever fill in the blanks those people who go to uh, the uh, casinos and you know really uh, are really have a taste for something that's really you know bad or you know putrid or whatever we could use some really strong adjective or something like that or strong uh, noun Um, and at the same time say boy what can we do to give them a higher taste yes and that is humility (laughs) that's humility yes right right so we can be we can maintain humility and call somebody a rascal Because otherwise we would have to say that Prabhupada wasn't very humble. Because my gosh, did he use the word rascal a lot, <laughs> right? The problem is that in the past, uh, in the earlier days of ISKCON, sometimes we would point fingers at everybody else except ourselves, and uh, you know, and 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 it led to pride sometimes, right? Um, but Srila Prabhupada would often, you know, I think I don't, I can't predicate his mind, but he he wanted to, his disciples to be strong in Krishna consciousness. And sometimes that was to really try to convince them that there's nothing out there in that world, the material world. Ramru, would you say that? Would you agree? with? It? No, go ahead. No. I,
2: you know, this, is, this uh, topic is a, is a really irrelevant one for me right now, living with my mother for a year and a half. And uh, I, I literally yesterday had to run here to get the association devotees. I'm missing it so much. And if that's taste, I don't know. But I struggle all the time because I have to live with someone who is h- her whose mind is absorbed in politics, television, newspaper, and everything that comes out of the mouth is related to that or other people's trivia. And and. It's so, so difficult, because I'm compassionate. She's 90. But uh, how, how can you, uh, it just for me, I can't fathom the taste for that. Right, and that's very it's, good. And it's, it's, it's absolutely repulsive to me. I, I'm, I'm living in a house where that sound vibration is going. It pierces the heart. After you've done your chapa and you've read Bhagavatam, to hear that sound vibration is physically, viscerally, mm. heart-piercing to have all that coming at you. And so to and I don't remember her name, Nandamuki. Nandamuki's point. Yes, we we are compassionate and and Prabhupada said if you don't like the people you can't preach to them. You can't help people you don't like. But it, it this is for me the case for in order to have the strength to be able to truly preach transparently and humbly we've got to have strong association with oh. with Prabhupada through his books but also with other Vaishnavas get our need for love and belonging met there and then then we are we can go out and and not associate but give that association mm. without expecting anything from them right. but living this is why it's so dangerous to in some ways living and uh, i certainly there's benefit there because I cook for for her and whatnot but it is so hard not to be self-righteous and judgmental (laughs) and point fingers because I'm like I'm screaming sometimes like I'm it's so frustrating to watch someone absolutely destroying their consciousness with television I mean it's not just little television it's I wake up in the morning to that I need to have that and a a soap opera in the midday and then Wow, when you're bored, you're turning on the TV. I wonder what's going on. And it's Donald Trump all the way, you know. So yeah. I, I, I don't know that balance. I'm hoping you're going to tell us. Well, there's
0: a taste. She has yeah. a taste for that.
2: Well, exactly. Yeah, and, how, and no taste for uh, the, Bible. It's okay, you're Christian. Let's Let's read the Bible together. No, no taste for that. Let's right. sing hymns, no taste for that. Just for right. that, TV.
0: Well, the mode of goodness gives us a certain taste. Yeah. The mode of passion gives us a different yeah. taste. The mode of ignorance gives us a different taste. And it of course, does. there's combinations of those. Um, I think we've all experienced that in our own lives, in our Christian consciousness. When we're really kind of passionate and ignorant, it's a little hard to pick up that Bhagavatam. Or it's even hard to clean your room. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um,
2: it is hard.
0: It, it, yeah, it is hard. So we, it's, we're all uh, works in progress. But the difference is, in the '70s, uh, we would say, "Oh, those stinking rotten karma," you know. And, and but we, we would, we didn't really have much realization of it because we were all living in the ashram. And but like now, you're speaking like from realization. You know? <laughs> oh, it hurts. Yeah. It's,
2: it's hard. It's painful. Yeah.
0: Yes.
2: Therefore, we need to. We look forward <laughs> to
0: your class today, Mother oh, Ramburu Thank you. Thank yes. you. Wonderful! I highly recommend everyone make sure that you stay and listen to Ramburu Muchi's class today. She is a great speaker. Okay, let's carry on. We're on text eight. <laughs> we're getting moving right along. It's 25 after. No, text. Eight. When the great sages consulted one another, they saw that the people were in a dangerous position from both directions. Right? Both no king or a great or a rascal king. When a fire blazes on both ends of a log, the ants in the middle are very da- are in a very dangerous situation. Another really graphic example, right? Similarly, at that time, the people in general were in a dangerous position due to the iris- an irresponsible king on one side and thieves and rogues on the other. You know, what do they say in a, Damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right? It was really like that. Thinking to save the state from irregularity, the sages began to consider that it was due to a political crisis that they made Vena king, although he was not qualified. But alas, now the people were being disturbed by the king himself. Under such circumstances, how could the people be happy? So this also shows that, you know, we have to make judgments, you know, whether you're... uh, Uh, a husband or wife in the family or uh, a temple president or a GBC member, you know, you sometimes have to make decisions and they don't always turn out perfectly, right? We have to at least make sure that our intention is in the right direction and that we made the best choice possible. But even we hear great sages may have made, you know, not the best choice in the world. You don't lament, you just go on and you try to make, okay, try to fix the situation, which is what they did, right? The sages began to think within themselves. Because he was born from the womb of Sunita, King Vena is by nature very mischievous, right? Because she was uh, the daughter of death personified. Supporting this mischievous king is exactly like maintaining a snake with milk. Remember, Prabhupada would use that example? Now he has become a source of all difficulties. We appointed this king Vena of, of the we appointed this king this Vena king of the state in order to give protection to the citizens, but now he has become the enemy of the citizens. Despite all these discrepancies, we should at once try to pacify him. By doing so, we may not be touched by the sinful results caused by him. In the last sentence of the purport child, the Prabhupada writes. Thus being take, thus, before taking any action against him, the sages tried to pacify and correct him so that he might turn from his uh, mischief. So this was Prabhupada's general mood. I'll read two letters that Prabhupada wrote um, in, in, in his management. Try to rectify a person before removing them. All right. So this is one letter uh, from 1972. So far, the presidents are concerned they should not be abruptly changed in future. One thing we should always remember is that all of our devotees picked up here here are accustomed to all these bad habits in their past life. So if someone, sometimes they reveal their old characteristics, instead of rejecting them, it is up to us to rectify them as far as possible. It is better to correct him to the standard point by friendly gestures. We can reject anyone. That's very easy. But to reform him, that requires great skill and tact. And if you can reform him there by kind words and dealings, that is best. I know he is a very good boy. Don't drive him away. That will be the discredit to all of you. Another one. This was, some, I guess, some... There were some drugs or something, some drug taking in the temple or something. He said, as for drugs, not just one party, but everyone was involved. Our process is to reform. Now, how to reform? If we ask him to go away, the whole society will be finished. <laughs> in the hospital, many patients are there, and the attempt is made to cure them, not to tell them go away or to kill them. They try their best to cure them. If If you tell them to get out of the hospital or if they... Kill them, or if you kill them, that is easy. Letter to Rupanuga Prabhu. So, even the sages here, this king was just doing unbelievable stuff, and still they thought, okay, well, let's at least try. Let's try to reform him. So, as far as possible, we try to uh, reform ourselves. Also, we don't. It also means some self-compassion. Uh, okay, you know, sometimes we 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 make a mistake or we do something against our better judgment or against the principles or whatever and sometimes we beat ourselves up so much that we don't put any energy into improvement right so uh you know of course you know we we're intelligent we don't we've given this example some steals money from the hundi we don't say oh well we want to reform you we're going to make you the treasurer you know obviously you know we're not foolish like that but um but this idea of uh uh, Krishna consciousness being able to purify people—that is, obviously, that's why we're here, <laughs> right? So, so um, intelligently we reform before removal. Uh, you know, in general, but every every situation has its specifics, and they have to be taken into consideration. So, even for ourselves, we should work on uh, reforming ourselves if we make some mistakes. Um, it's good to repent, to feel repentant, Prabhupada mentions that, but, um, it also is good to, um, um, uh, forget that, forget the past, and do something right in the present. Because the prayas chitta, the way to reform ourselves, is to engage in Krishna consciousness. That's a really important principle, right? A really important principle to understand deeply, that, uh, you know, in the Vedas there's this description of well if you do this you can overcome that sinful reaction by doing that. If you do this, you do that. But for us, the 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 purific- the, the right act is to engage in spiritual life, is to engage in Krishna consciousness. Any thoughts on this? Yes, Prama Tranguni? In practical life, again, it's difficult sometimes, you know, like where to draw that line exactly. Yes. How much to invest in the Reformation and when to say, okay, bus, you know, (laughs) we need to take care of the situation and take a serious action, which has sometimes very serious consequences on the other person. The person may be trying sincerely, Mm -hmm. but yet their capacity is very small because of where they've been and whatever, yep. they're just, they're, they're sincere, but the capacity is small, and then there's practical implications, and so it's, it's difficult. It is it's difficult, easy. it is difficult. Uh, yeah. Even right now, I think, you know, we're talking about news, right? The uh, governor of Virginia, right? So he was found to, uh, so, you know, this is something, I guess, 1984, was it? So 94, 104, so 25 years ago, right? Um, so you know, should he have said, "Well, yeah, this was the most terrible thing in the world," because he painted his face black and in a picture with somebody dressed up in Ku Klux Klan attire, um, you know, and said, "I'm going to do everything." The to... matter of fact, I'm going to show that my record. I'm going to make sure there's no discrimination. You know, whatever, right? Should he be because everyone's calling for his removal, or should that you know? So this is coming up um, a lot in, in in the world, right? Should he? be removed or should he be reformed or has he already been reformed or whatever you know um, so yeah it's not it, that's why it's it's not an easy thing if, if, if it, when it comes down to practical managerial decisions uh, it's not easy but it's good as, we, as we've said a few times it's always good to start with the principles and then apply the principles as much as possible to the cir- circumstance instead of just deal with the practical and not consider our philosophy and theology. All right. Make sense? Anything else on this? All right, let's see what happens to that guy, Vena. The saintly sages continued thinking, of course we are completely aware of his mischievous nature, yet nevertheless we enthrone Vena. If we cannot persuade King Vena to accept our advice, he will be condemned by the public and we will join them. Thus, by our prowl- prowess, we shall burn him to ashes. The great sages, having thus decided, approached King Vena. Concealing their real anger, they pacified him with sweet words and then spoke as follows. Have you, ever, have you done that? You know, you can really have someone, you know, you're a oh, horrible, Prabhu. <laughs> <laughs> The great sages said, dear king, we have come to give you good advice. Oh boy, that's going to make him happy, right? Kindly hear us with great attention. By doing so, your duration of life and your opulence, strength, and reputation will increase. So they were trying to get towards his his interest, right? Those who live according to religious principles and who follow them by words, mind, body, and intelligence are elevated to the heavenly kingdom which is devoid of all miseries. Being thus rid of the material influences, influence, they achieve unlimited happiness in life. So they're really painting a rosy picture uh, of their advice. The sages continued, Oh, great hero, buttering him up a little bit, for this reason you should not be the cause of spoiling the spiritual life of the great general populace. If their spiritual life is spoiled because of your activities, you will certainly fall down from your opulent and royal position. Prabhupada writes, formerly in practically all parts of the world there were monarchies, but gradually as monarchy declined from the ideal life of religion to the godless life of sense gratification, monarchies all over the world became were abolished. However, simply abolishing monarchy and replacing it with democracy is not sufficient unless the government men are religious and follow in the footsteps of great religious personalities. So monarchy democracy whatever there needs people in charge should be spiritually minded so just replacing and and that's um, uh, for me this is one of my thoughts in my work both in this and in uh, the outside world sometimes people will think that if we like the big thing in the government is reorg we're going to re- do a reorg that's going to solve everything right we're going to change move around the parts on the float on the uh, on the organizational chart and, and they just think by changing um, but I had this professor and I really have, uh, who said that culture eats structure for breakfast so you can move around the structure all you want but if you're not dealing with the culture or we could say even the relationships and how people work together and how they you know, respect each other, then you can have the best structure in the world. It's not gonna work, right? So whether it's democracy or monarchy, if the person in charge is only caring about their own sense gratification and you know, padding their bank account for the time that they're in charge, then it's not gonna work. And it seems that Prabhupada is saying here that if, if democracy or monarchy, if those people in charge are actually God conscious, it can be wonderful. So just changing the structure, you know, and you think about it, there's been so many wars over changing the structure, right? The whole Cold War is all about we don't like the structure of communism or we don't like the structure of democracy, right? And so many, especially America, especially has fought wars where they thought democracy was in danger, right? Isn't that a fair fair analysis? The saintly persons continued, when the king protects the citizens from the disturbances of mischievous ministers as well as from thieves and rogues, he can, by virtue of such pious activities, accept taxes given by the subjects. Thus, a pious king can certainly enjoy himself in this world as well as in life after death. So they're really, again, trying to really paint a picture of, hey, you should listen to us. The king is supposed to be pious in whose state, now they're really preaching to him, right? In whose state and cities the general populace strictly observes the system of eight orders of Varna and Ashram, and where all citizens engage in worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead by their particular occupations. O noble one, if the king sees that the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the original cause of the cosmic manifestation and the Supersoul within everyone is worshiped, the Lord will be satisfied. The supreme personality of God is worshipped by the great demigods, controllers of universal affairs. When he is satisfied, nothing is impossible to achieve. For this reason, all the demigods, presiding deities of different planets, as well as the inhabitants of their planets, take great pleasure in offering all kinds of paraphernalia for his worship. Dear King, the supreme personality of God, along with the predominating deities, is the enjoyer of the results of all sacrifices in all planets. What does that sound like? What verse? Bogdaram-yagatapasam, the peace formula, the very last verse of the fifth chapter, where Krishna says that uh, he's the uh, enjoyer of all sacrifices and austerities and the supreme friend of all living entities. The Supreme Lord is the sum total of the three Vedas, the owner of everything and the ultimate goal of all austerities. That also sounds like that verse. Therefore, your countrymen should engage in performing various sacrifices for your elevation. Indeed, you should always... Direct them towards the offering of sacrifices. When all the brahmanas engage in performing sacrifices in your kingdom, all the demigods who are plenary expansions of the Lord will be very much satisfied by their activities and will give you your desired result. Therefore, O hero, do not stop the sacrificial performances. If you stop them, you will disrespect the demigods. King Vena replied, you are not at all experienced like, uh, in India they say, you're just a bachcha. <laughs> right? Just a bacha. It is very much regrettable that you are maintaining something which is not religious and are accepting it as religious. Indeed, I think you are giving up your real husband who maintains you and are searching after some paramour to worship. Those who out of gross ignorance do not worship the king who is actually the supreme personality of Godhead, experience happiness neither in this world nor in the world after death. You are so much devoted to these demigods, but who are they? Indeed, your affection for these demigods is exactly like the affection of an unchaste woman who neglects her married life and gives all attention to her paramour. Lord Vishnu, Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, Lord Indra, Vayu, the master of air, Yama, the superintendent of uh, death, The sun god, the director of rainfall, Kuvera, the treasurer, the moon god, the predominating deity of the earth, Agni, the fire god, Varuna, the lord of waters, and all others who are great and competent to bestow benedictions or to curse, all abide in the body of the king. Well, this guy's in Maya. For this reason, the king is known as the reservoir of all demigods who are simply parts and parcels of the king's body. King Vena continued, for this reason, O Brahmin, is you should abandon your envy of me and by your ritualistic activities you should worship me and offer me all paraphernalia. If you are intelligent, you should know that there is no personality superior to me who can accept the first oblations of all sacrifices. The great sage Maitreya, who's Maitreya talking to? Vidura. Vidura. And, this, and who's who's reciting the... Conversation of Vidura and Maitreya. Yes. So there's this conversation within a conversation within a conversation. Thus, the king who became unintelligent due to his sinful life and deviation from the right path, became actually bereft of all good fortune. He could not accept the requests of the great sages which the sages put before him with great respect and therefore he was condemned. My dear Vidura, all good fortune unto you, the foolish king who thought himself very very learned and thus insulted the great sages uh, and the sages being broken hearted by the king's words became very angry at him. All the sages, all the great saintly sages immediately cried, kill him, kill him. He is a most dreadful, sinful person. If he lives, he will actually turn the whole world into ashes in no time. Prabhupada writes, we can appreciate the extent to which the saintly sages actually controlled the king. If the king or government becomes demoniac, it is the duty of a saintly person to upset the government and replace it with deserving persons who follow the orders and instructions of saintly persons. So Generally, they stay aloof, but when it's just too much, and their compassion for themselves and for the other and for the citizens, they have to do something. The saintly sages continued, "This impious, impudent man does not deserve to sit on the throne at all. He is so shameless that he even dared insult the supreme personality of Godhead, Lord Vishnu. But for King Vena, who is simply inauspicious." Who would blaspheme the supreme personality of Godhead? By whose mercy one is awarded all kinds of fortune and opulence. The great sages, thus manifesting their covert anger, immediately decided to kill the king. King Vena was already as good as dead due to his blasphemy against the supreme personality of Godhead. Thus, without using any weapons, the sages killed King Vena simply by high-sounding words. So that's their potency. Here, you know, this person who before we heard had so many opulence and stuff. High-sounding words. After all, the sages return. After all, the sages returned to their respective hermitages. And the mother of King Vena, Sunita, became very much aggrieved because of her son's death. She decided to preserve the dead body of her son by the application of certain ingredients and by chanting mantras. Once upon a time, the same saintly persons, after taking their bath in the river Saraswati, began to perform their daily duties by offering oblations into the sacrificial fire. After this, sitting on the banks of the river, they began to talk about the transcendental person and his pastimes. In those days, there were various disturbances in the country that were creating a panic in society. Therefore, all the sages began to talk among themselves. Since the king is dead, there is no protector in the world misfortune may befall the people in general on account of rogues and thieves so this, so rogues and thieves terrible king then rogues and thieves again right that was the pattern when the great sages were carrying on their discussion in this way they saw a dust storm arising from all directions this storm was causing the run by was caused by running by the running oh, could somebody get me a glass of water a little possible? or a cup of water the storm was caused by the running of thieves and rogues who were engaged in plundering the citizens. Upon seeing the dust storm, the saintly persons could understand that there were great, there were a great deal of irregularities due to the death of King Vena. Without government, the state was devoid of law and order and consequently, there was great uprising of murderous thieves and rogues who were plundering the riches of people in general. Although the great sages could subdue the disturbances by their powers, just as they could kill the king, they considered it improper on their part to do so. Thus, they did not attempt to stop the disturbance. Prabhupada writes in the purport, the saintly persons and great sages killed King Vena out of emergency, but they did not choose to take part in the government in order to subdue the uprising of thieves and rogues, who took place, which took place after the death of King Vena. It is not the duty of Brahmins and saintly persons to kill although they may sometimes do so in the case of emergency. They could kill all the thieves and rogues by the prowess of their mantras, but they thought it the duty of the Chacharya kings to do so. Thus, they reluctantly did not take part in the killing business. So sometimes we might read this and say, oh, killing is such a terrible thing. Um, And thank you so much. And killing, when done for one's personal reasons, Is a terrible thing. Probably not a lot of tears were displayed when people like Pol Pot or Stalin or Hitler died, right? So when people are causing so much, and even like you, right? I mean, Stalin was just a crazy amount, right? Twenty-five to thirty million people, something like that, of his own people. Right, um, so so killing isn't not always terrible, right? Um, but what? But killing for one's sense gratification is is atrocious. Um, so here, you know, they have the, it's this, You know how uh, So one of the sayings in the world today is a uh, stay in your swim lane, right? You know, like uh, when there's a, a Olympic uh, swimming and you know they have the lanes. You know, so that's in a stay in your swim lane, right? When that me or sometimes they call it mission creep, when you're starting to do someone else's job. Right? So the sages here were saying, No, we we need to stay in our swim lane here. We okay, we had to do this one thing with Vena out of emergency, but we had to find another thing to do than just take out our Brahmin threads and kill all the th- rogues and thieves, right? But but what happens in the killing that happens in the name of sense gratification, uh, especially of the tongue, is incredible. I mean, I just did a two-minute search. So, chickens. Nine billion per year in this country and 50 billion a year are killed in the world. And I did a calculation. That is 136 million every day. That's just chickens. Then the rest of the research is just in America. Um, 35 million cows are killed every year in America. 116 million pigs. 271 million turkeys. We can't sometimes fathom what a million is, what to speak of a billion. Um, so, This killing is going on in so many different ways. And we understand from the Shastra that the king's job is to protect the praja. And praja means citizens, and citizens include the animals in the the proper kingdom. So it's just um, just amazing how much uh, killing. And there's going to be a lot of it today when people watch the Super Bowl. And partake of their favorite non vegetarian meals <laughs> as they're doing that. Especially I think the chickens are in trouble today. A lot of chicken wings and anyway, we won't go sorry, I won't go any as Prabhupada once said, uh he was starting to describe it and he mm. said, But we will not describe it any something like we won't go into details on the pages of the Bhagavatam. But, but it's just uh it's just amazing. Um so, 100 anyway, that's like 500,000 cows a day, a day, in America. No, wait. Anyway, whatever the math is, it's a lot. And
2: people don't realize that they want peace, world peace. And we're working over here for world peace. And it really happens on your dinner plate. Yep. It's just like they don't get the connection.
0: Yep. Yes, they don't. right. Right. I was, I, it, just what you said uh, when I went to this uh, uh, Christian university for my graduate program, and it, they're really into peace studies. And I would always say, peace begins at your dinner table. They don't. All... No, no, they were more respectful. Yeah, Mennonites are respectful people. Um, no, they actually you listen, but at the same time they, you know. What we say, the tongue is the most difficult and voracious to control. It's not easy. I, I have a, a a family a family member who's diabetic, and is really starting to get bad. Even they had to put a um, injection in the person's eye, right? Because your your eyes can go bad, right? But this person is not changing their eating habits. You know, it's it's, uh, and therefore, well, you might do it. But it's really cool if you can give people a bit of a higher taste, also, right? It was so easy to give up my, you know, when I was sixteen years old, my previous eating habits. When I had like prasadam, it was I, I didn't even think about it for a second, right? Not even for a second. <laughs> All right. So there's so many wonderful things we can eat without eating. But yeah, we, the, you know, um, there's just so much. Uh, it's just incredible can you imagine you, we can't we can't fathom what 50 billion chickens killed a year we can't a billion is is a very large number guys that's why I tried to break it down to 136 million per day you know, and you don't see it like I was just driving back from uh, New Jersey or no I think I was driving up to New Jersey because I took two different routes so I took the more scenic route, where you don't have to pay the tolls on the way up there. And I know what these are because I, because um, when I went to where I went to college, um, uh, they have these chicken farms. And these, what these are, if you ever see these long, long buildings with no windows, that is a chicken factory. And I just saw, a, and I know what goes on because I, you know, there's just hundreds of thousands of chickens cooped up, ready for the slaughter. Then what speak of cows? I did. I didn't get the worldwide figure, but if if you figure the chickens to so if you multi, so two hundred million cow no yeah two hundred million cows a year killed so it's like eight hundred thousand a day. And like you and like Mother Rambrah was saying, and then you want peace in the world. But this is uh, Prabhupada would explain that this is how wars are started in these ways the, the, the collective karma of doing these things yeah the, the great sages began to think uh, that, a law, that although a Brahmin is peaceful and impartial because he is equal to everyone it is still not his duty to neglect poor humans By such neglect, a Brahmana's spiritual power diminishes just as water kept in a cracked pot leaks out. So we read a little bit of this purport. Um, We'll read it again. Brahmanas, the topmost section of human society, are mostly devotees. And remember, we, we always know, right? Brahmana is not by birth. It's by guna and karma, right? Anyone can become a Brahmana if they are sama dhamma tapasocham in the Bhagavad Gita Krishna says control the mind, control the senses, uh, etc. sama dhamma tapas, performing austerities, cleanliness, etc. That's a Brahmin, not someone who has a... Do I have one of these? How much does this cost? Like 50 paisa? Maybe no, maybe two rupees now? You know, the inflation? You know, so that, you mean paying two rupees for one of these does not a Brahmin make. It's much more uh, tricky than that, but anyone can become a Brahmin if they follow. So it's not a class of people by birth, you know. Just because if your name, uh, you know, ends with Shastri or uh, what are some names of, uh, you know, Sharma, yes, Trivedi, Chaturvedi, etc. That's uh, uh, it's by Krishna says uh, guna and karma by one's quality and work. see. see. gornitai. Sitaram, Lakshman, Hanuman, So generally, those Brahmins are generally unaware of the happenings within the material world because they are busy, they are always busy in their activities of spiritual advancement. Nonetheless, when there is a calamity in human society, they cannot remain impartial. If they do not do something to relieve the distressed condition of human society, it is said that due to such neglect, their spiritual knowledge diminishes. So compassion is one of the most important qualities a human being can have, you know, let's speak of a brahmana, right, to, um, to really care for the welfare of others para is, uh, is what is said about a brahmana vaishnava that they be- we become happy we become unhappy <laughs> when we see the unhappiness of others and the, the challenge is, I think we all know that sometimes there's a little voice in ourselves that when someone goes through a bit of a calamity, we feel this little happiness, you know, that we, well, wasn't, at least it wasn't me, right? Or, right, there's, a, there's that little voice inside that we know isn't very nice, <laughs> right? But that sometimes that envy comes out. But, uh, but we should, a, a really good person becomes very unhappy when they see the unhappiness of others. We shouldn't become parasukaduki, right? It's i Become unhappy when you see the unhappiness of others. Um, so almost all the sages go to the Himalayas for their personal benefit. But Prahlad Maharaj said that he did not want liberation alone. He decided to wait until he was able to deliver all fallen souls of the world. So this, this is those three parts of Lord Chaitanya that he would say um, Jiva Doya uh, Vaishnava Seva right? that these are so, so there's a distinction so Vaishna, people who are already servants of God then we want to serve them right? and then Jiva Doya others who, who, that we have compassion upon we want to serve them also by giving them mercy and of course that means Krishna's mercy not our mercy and uh, in order to be able to do both of those, one, then comes the, that the point about higher taste. Literally, nam ruchi. Ruchi means taste, and nam means the, a taste for kirtan, a taste for chanting Krishna's name or sun-kirtan, like that. Um, so that is uh, <coughs> the mood that the, the three things that we want to cultivate: feeling compassion for others, for those who. We don't have to feel compassion to someone who's more spiritually advanced to us, but we'd want to serve them and to really have a taste for uh, spiritual practices. Okay, that's as far as we got. Not too bad. We almost finished this chapter. And so next week we will finish this chapter and then go on to uh, wonderful, a wonderful chapter that uh, King Prithu uh appears and his coronation and establishing a great saintly uh, great saintly Shaktyavesh avatar uh, incarnation of Krishna as a king along with his uh, queen uh, uh, Archie okay so have a wonderful Krishna conscious week now we'll uh Mahamantrabhu you're next we're going to do japa together japa meditation for half hour and then have RT and then we're so lucky uh, Ramburu Matsaji will give the Pravachan, the talk this week Hare Krishna, Glorious Prabhupada